The scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord, Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law do not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe that when your word is rightly proclaimed, your, your voice will be heard. And so we ask that you would help me to proclaim your word rightly today. Help me to be clear in my thoughts. Help me to be true to your revealed truth. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. I grew up near the Jersey Shore, so I went to the beach a lot when I was a kid. And when I was young, so you'd be back in the 1970s, boogie boards were not really a thing yet on the East Coast. What people would use for body surfing, we had these, these rectangular rubber uh, rafts that you would inflate with a bicycle pump. So one day I'm at the beach with my raft. I'm uh, riding the waves, you know, ride the wave in, paddle back out, ride the wave in, paddle back out, back and forth. And I started to feel tired. So I thought that it would be a good idea to paddle my little raft out past the breakers, past, past where the, uh, the waves were forming, out where it looked like the ocean was nice and still. So I went out there and the water was very calm and the thought crossed my mind that this would be a good opportunity for me to get some rest. So I stretched out on my raft, I put my head down like it was a pillow, I closed my eyes, and I just floated. And it was so delightful. The warm sun was gently caressing my body the soft roll of the ocean was slowly rocking me back and forth, back and forth. I'm telling you, it was truly, truly relaxing. 
until I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I discovered what you've probably already guessed. I discovered that the whole time I had been lying there on the, on the verge of falling asleep, gradually the current of the ocean had been pulling me farther and farther away from the shore. I was way out there. Now, in retrospect, as an adult, I probably wasn't that far. But as a child, I just felt like I was so far away. I remember the lifeguard stand looked like a little tiny dot. I thought I'll never, ever see my mommy again. It just seemed like I was so far away. What had happened? I had drifted. And when I realized I had drifted, two questions immediately came to mind. A, how did I ever, how did I ever get this far away from where I know I'm supposed to be, and then be, how could I ever get back again? Now, most Christians I've known have, on at least one occasion in their life, found themselves asking those same two questions with regard to their relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're asking those questions today. How did I ever drift this far away from God? I used to be so close to him. How did I ever drift this far? And how could I ever get back again? Can I ever get back again? This passage in Jeremiah chapter 2 is dealing with those two questions. Jeremiah was a Hebrew prophet born in Judah in the 7th century B.C. He lived at a time when the people of God were gradually drifting farther and farther and farther away from the covenant that the Lord had made with them. Uh, you'll notice the Lord says through Jeremiah in verse 5, he says, What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? He says they've strayed. They've drifted. Now, if you read the whole chapter earlier in, in chapter 2 of, of uh, Jeremiah, you'll, you'll see uh, that there was a time earlier in their history when the people of Israel had been very, very close to the Lord, just so devoted to God. In verse 2, it says that they loved the Lord like a bride, like a bride in love with her bridegroom. It says they, they followed him through the wilderness, even through the hardest times. They stayed close to the Lord. Verse, verse 3 says Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. So there used to be a time when they were devoted and they were close to God and, and they were in love with God. But now it seems that they have they've strayed. They've drifted. Probably happened gradually. Certainly didn't happen overnight. But somehow now it's like they've opened their eyes and they're far away from where they know they're supposed to be. And the question is, how did that happen? I think it's verse 6 that answers the question for us most clearly. Here's how it happened. It says, they did not ask, where is the Lord? They didn't ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where, where no, tra no one travels and no one lives. That's referring to the time when God brought them out of Egypt, you know, and led them through this, this horrible place and brought them into their own land. But there, it says they're no longer asking, where is the Lord? In other words, how did they drift so far? Apparently, they had stopped somehow in their hearts they stopped truly seeking after God. Now, that doesn't mean that they were no longer religious. Um, you can be very, very actively involved in religious activity and yet still 
not have a heart that really hungers after God. You'll notice verse 8 says that, that in Israel they, they still had priests who worked in the temple. It says they still had scholars who studied the law. They still had, had prophets who wrote their sermons week after week and, and preached to the people. But apparently none of these busy religious professionals were actually seeking after God. Um, ver verse 8, the beginning says, The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Kind of grabs your imagination. Imagine a, a group of, of ancient Hebrew priests. They've gone to Jerusalem to work in the temple, and as they go about their, their, their activities in, in their profession, they have all kinds of questions that they ask each other throughout the day. Where is the altar? Where is the incense? Where, where, is, the, where is the animal for the sacrifice? Where is the fire for the burnt offering? Just all these really good questions that they ask each other so that they can do their job more efficiently. But it seems that not one of these priests wakes up in the morning and the first question on his lips is, where's the Lord? What difference does it make if we do all this activity but we don't seek the Lord? Where is the Lord? I have to find the Lord. The, the, the middle of, of the verse, verse 8, says something very similar about the Bible scholars of their day. They, they are referred to as those who deal with the law. Another translation says those who handle the law. This is talking about the experts, probably the, the Levitical uh, people who, who had dedicated themselves to a detailed study of Torah. They, these were people who knew scriptures. I mean, they, they knew every answer to every question you could ever ask about the Bible. But what does it say, middle of verse 8? It says, those who deal with the law did not know me, says the Lord. Let me ask you, do you think it's, do you think it's possible to know the Bible? I mean, really know the Bible, but not really know God? I mean, Jesus seemed to think that was the case. Jesus said in, in John chapter 5, speaking to the religious leaders of his day, Jesus said, you studied scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Kind of sounds like the, 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 the Bible scholars in Jeremiah's day. They know the Bible, but they don't know the Lord. They don't come to him. So... Uh, the reason the people had drifted is not because they were not busy. It's not because they were not religious. It's not because they weren't doing all these things. The priests were working in the temple. The scholars were studying the word. But none of them were saying, where's God? We need to know God. It seems, you'll notice at the, at the end of verse 8, that apparently this, the people became so accustomed to this whirlwind of religious activity that... Um, it reached the point that their pastor stood up and began to preach heresy. They began to preach false doctrine, and, and it had reached the point where nobody even noticed. Nobody even cared. It says at the end of verse 8, the prophets prophesied by Baal and followed worthless idols. So, so the question is, how, how in the world did these people drift so far from the Lord? And the answer is, they just stopped seeking God. They didn't stop coming to church or going to temple. They didn't stop all the activity. But somewhere in their heart, they just stopped hungering, crying out for him. That can happen, can't it? Has it ever happened to you? 
Is it happening to you today? Now, you might be asking, well, how would I know if that's happening? It seems like it's such an intangible thing. I can't measure it just by looking at my activity. How would I, how would I know if this is happening in my heart? Well, um, whenever, whenever our hearts stop really seeking after God, invariably they begin to seek after something else. What, what, what is it that the scientists say? Scientists say, nature abhors a vacuum. You ever hear that? Like let's say a farmer plows a field but doesn't plant anything there. It's not like the land is just going to sit empty, right? You come back the end of the summer, summer, that land will be full of weeds. I mean, something will grow there. Nature abhors a vacuum. And that's, that's how it is with the human heart. When, listen, when God made you, he made you in his image. And do you know this? God designed you for himself. God designed you so that you would experience a close, meaningful, life-giving relationship with your creator. And if, listen, if your heart is designed this way, if your heart is not filled with God, the empty space that's left there will cry out to be filled with something, anything. That vacuum can't remain. And so when the Hebrew people in, Jer in Jeremiah's time, when they abandoned the Lord, it's not like they just went through the rest of the life without any God. You can't go through life without something serving as your God. So sooner or later, your heart cries out for something to fill it. And that happened with them. And so they had begun to follow false gods. Starting at verse 10, Je the Lord says through Jeremiah, cross over to the coast of Cyprus and, and look. So Cyprus would have been the farthest west that they ever would have traveled. It says, send to Kedar. That's the farthest east they ever would have gone. Observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens. Shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's an interesting metaphor for idols. God calls them cisterns. What is a cistern? A, a cistern is a, it's a water tank that will hold rain water so that you can drink it when you don't have any water to drink. And it, you know, if you don't, if you have no other source of water, it's fine to have a cistern, but understand the water in there sits stagnantly. It's always going to be a little bit stale. There will always be some kind of residue in there. And God says, you know, these are your idols. You're just drinking from cisterns. In fact, God says they are broken cisterns. There's a crack in them. Most of the water has run out. All you've got is the, the little residue left in the bottom. It's all muddy and nasty and dirty. And that's what you drink. Well, you could have come to me, this ever-flowing fountain of fresh mountain spring water that never starts. You could have come to me. I would have satisfied the deepest thirst you've ever had. I would have filled you through and through again and again. But instead, you drifted away from me. You stopped seeking me. Now you're drinking this muddy cistern water. You know, that would be like, you know what that would be like? That would be like you. Uh, uh, you know, this afternoon you're thirsty. Instead of going to the sink with a glass and, and filling it up with fresh New York City tap water, which, by the way, is ranked among the best in the nation, right? In, instead, of, instead of getting our fresh tap water, you grab a rubber bucket and you hike down to the East River and you dip it in and you drink that. 
You say, that would be so foolish. Who would do that? That's what we do. Guys, that's what we do when we stop seeking Yahweh, the Lord, the God and Father of our, of our Savior, Jesus, the, the, the life-giving fountain of water, and we look to anything else. It becomes this cracked cistern. There's a muddy residue at the bottom, and we try to fill our thirst with that. I wonder if you've done that. I wonder if you're doing it now. In other words, here's an example. Instead of letting your identity be found in who you are in Jesus Christ, what an ennobling thought that your value comes not from what you do or how you perform, but for who you are in your relationship with Jesus. Instead of being satisfied with that, you try to find your significance through your job performance or your professional success. But you know, I'll tell you, it's an empty, it's a cracked cistern. You will, listen, every accomplishment at your job, you're only as good as the last accomplishment. There's always something more, something more, something more. The thirst is never satisfied. Or, or another example, is instead of letting the promises of God found in Scripture bring deep, deep comfort to your heart. You say, now I'll find comfort in a glass of wine every night before I go. Find it in a bottle. Or, or I'll find it in Netflix. Or I'll find it in, in Facebook. Something, something to just take away this aching inside. In other words, whenever we seek anything, uh, whenever, how, whenever we drift from God, we're not seeking Him we try to satisfy it with something else, and it never, ever satisfies. That's a false idol. In, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller def, defines an idol this way. He says, an idol is anything, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So that happens gradually. How, how, do, how do people drift from God? To drift from God is not hard. You don't have to go rob a bank, and now I'm far from God. You don't have to steal a car. You don't have to commit some big crime. All you have to, listen, all you have to do is just stop seeking him. You can be busy in church, busy. You can be the priest. You can be the Bible scholar. You can be doing all the things. But in your heart, you're no longer saying, I will only be satisfied. There's a, there's a thirst in me that can, will only be quenched by him. You just stop seeking and you drift. Now, if that's happened to you, the, the, the question you're asking is, all right, I've drifted. I'm far from him. I want to, I want to come back again. So the question is, how would, I, how would you ever get back? Well, if you look at this passage, you, you will notice that, that just look at Look at the imperative verbs in this passage. Look at the commands that we are given. If you do that, you will notice six specific commands, meaning there is a six-step process for coming back to the Lord if you drifted away from Him. No, I'm lying. There are not six commands in this passage. Now, there are a few commands that are in verse 10 that are metaphorical, those, but those are not really what God is. Look, go to Kedar, go to Cyprus. He didn't mean that literally. There's really only... Do you know that there's really only one command given to the people in this whole passage? It's found at the very beginning of verse 4. Hear. Hear. The word of the Lord. You descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel, the, the only thing God asks these people who've drifted from him, the only thing he tells them to do, 
listen to me. He says, hear my voice. Now, if God wanted the people to listen to his voice, what does that mean? It means the whole time they were drifting farther and farther away from the Lord, God never stopped crying out for them. The whole time they were ignoring him, the whole time they were, they were straying, the whole time they were drifting, God had never stopped crying out to them. He had never stopped speaking to them. In fact, you'll notice two times in this passage, verse 11 and verse 13, how does God refer to Israel? Those people that used to follow me, I don't even know who they are. No, he, twice he calls them, my people. These are my people. He, isn't, it, isn't that amazing? It may be that they had stopped. They had come to a place in their national life where they had stopped referring to Yahweh as our God. But God had never stopped referring to them as my people. These are my people. These are my people. And he had never stopped crying out for them, even though they'd wandered away. When I was studying this this week, and immediately reminded me of the story of Adam. You know the story of Adam in, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam rebels against the Lord. He eats the fruit he's not supposed to. And, and, and then what does he do? He runs away, and he tries to hide from God. He's so ashamed. And what did the Lord do in Genesis 3? The Lord said, well, if Adam wants to find me, he knows where I am. He can come looking for me. No. The Lord went looking for Adam. The Lord went seeking after him, and he was calling out into the garden, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? That's what he's doing with Israel. Even though they've drifted, he's still calling out to them, hear me, listen to me. I'm crying out to you. He, he wants them to come home, doesn't he? There's a... Um, a song by a British recording artist named Scott Callum, and, and the, the, title, the name of the song is Just Come Home. And if you hear it's a song, it's a broken-hearted song. It's a song of a man who's been abandoned by his lover, and he, he wants her back so badly. And, and the end of the song says this, Did you run away? Did you run away? I don't need to know. If you ran away, if you ran away, come back home. Just Come back home. And I have the sense that that's what, what Israel is, God is saying to Israel in this passage. They've turned from him, this life of folly. They're trying to quench their, their spiritual thirst with other things. And God says, I'm here. I'm still here. Re repent. Turn from your idols. Tur turn away from these things that are, are replacing me in your heart. And won't you just come home? Come home. If you read on in Jeremiah into the next chapter, verse um, chapter 3, here's what God says. He says, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. You've scattered your favors to foreign gods that have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord. For I am your husband. So to people who've, who've been drifting, they haven't been seeking God, and they wind up seeking something else, God is just calling out, come home. I'm still here. You're still my people. I still love you. 
None of that has changed. Just come home. And if, if, listen, if you feel like you've drifted or maybe you've just started drifting, you're, you're beginning to, to let other things than, than the love of God replace what's deepest in your heart. God is saying the same thing to you through me this morning. He's just saying, today. Maybe, isn't it amazing with God's grace? It might take you three or four years to drift from where you were with the Lord to where you are today. It might take four years to drift that far. But you can come back in a second. Like it just says, repent, come back. Arms are open wide. Door is open. The, the, the fire is in the fireplace. Dinner's on, on, on the table. The, your, your favorite pillow is still on the couch. Your home is waiting for you. Come home. And you can just come just like that. Now somebody's saying, it can't be that. It can't be that easy. It can't be. There must be some kind of process I need to follow or some kind of program I need to, I need to join and work. You know, there's got to be something, some price I have to pay, right, to get back into God's good favor. Listen, have you heard the gospel? You know what the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel tells us that everything that would ever need to be done for you to be restored completely to a right relationship with God, everything that would ever need to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ on the cross in your behalf. So if you believe that, will you understand that today, no matter where you are, God is saying, just come. Come to me. Come to me today. Let's, let's pray together. And, you know, before we come to the table today, we're having a time of confession. And let's do that right now as I lead us in prayer. If you'd close your eyes with me and let's pray. And before I voice a prayer, if there's anyone here, you've drifted from God, maybe you felt like you never even knew God, but you're far from Him. And today is a day where you hear God saying to you, I, I want you back, I want you back home again. And something in your heart is saying, I want that. I, I wanna ask you to, would you take a moment while I'm quiet to confess to God ways that you failed or drifted or grieved him? Would you ask him for the sake of Christ to forgive and restore? Let's do that together quietly.